But why are we talking about uh, genocide at this time in the morning? Uh, I mean, it's my favorite topic. It's Friday, July 17th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. Or at least uh, until now, because this is uh, our last episode before we go in a summer break. Um, I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and a Kremlin Tower Watcher. And with me today <laughs> are Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor, Dutch News and DIY Nazi Plane Pilot. Uh, and also Molly Quell, Contributing Editor, Dutch News and WhatsApp Breaker. So uh, I don't have any idea what any of these job titles. These are fabulous job titles, though, and I'm really impressed because uh, mine's from a thing that I literally put up like 15 minutes before we recorded. Wow! So yeah, Yeah, I I I still need stalkery with the uh, job titles. Yeah, I still needed a job title for for Gordon. What I usually do is I just open his Facebook page and see whatever he was ranting about and use that as a sort of uh, Uh. inspiration for the job title. And the first thing he posted it indeed. Three minutes before I looked on his Facebook page, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I, I'm just going to do this. So, Gordon, you can start. What's your... Okay, I'll start. Like? This is just a, f- a fabulous little story that was um, just one of these really just perfect, compact um, little news stories you sometimes get in newspapers. Um, it's about 50 words, but it just tells an amazing story about a guy who spent 10 years building his own sort of Second World War uh, airplane. Uh, this guy's in Britain, but for some reason he built a, he built a Nazi Luftwaffe plane. I've no idea why. A Fokker Wolf. It's <laughs> um, like his homemade plane. And then um, the, 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 he, he spent 10 years on it. He's 80 years old. And the first, and then he decided uh, the other week to take it out for a spin. Um, unfortunately, it turns out to, that uh, he's not a very good pilot because he mistook <laughs> a, um, a, a set of tractor tracks for a landing strip and so crashed mm. it into the ground. Okay. But somehow, but somehow survived. And the closing quote on the story was from a friend who said just simply, "His wife calls the plane Dignitas." <laughs> <laughs> That is fantastic. Yeah. This 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 story sort of reminded me of this guy from Groningen who built a V two rocket in Romania or Bulgaria somewhere. I saw this, it, yeah. And had yeah. it transported to Groningen. Oh yes, I and saw he was this. Very, he was very happy that he could do it now because the traffic was so low. Uh, and he but he built this thing in order to raise awareness for the environment. Mm. I think and Ben Coates had the best reaction to this. Did you see what, his what tweet? He, he said yeah. something to the effect of like, who on earth decides that all of a sudden now they're going to campaign ca- or uh, care about the environment now that they've seen a homemade V2 rocket built? Like, <laughs> And then he does like a little quote and it's like, I had no idea the earth was burning until I saw this rocket or something like that. It was yeah. really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, we need to cancel DIY uh DIYs, I think. Oh no! Yeah. Well, then I then I am cancelled because that's my whole house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, at least it, those are not Nazi weapons. Nazi well, you don't know uh, that. We haven't been to Molly's house for a while. <laughs> you know. yeah, we don't know what's been going on in lockdown. Yeah. We also have Nazi propaganda that was a DIY project, which we we don't need to get into because I don't want any hate mail about it. You mean the Hitler portrait in your the hallway? The Hitler portrait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and Paul, why have you been watching Kremlin Towers? Well, I, I wrote a script and I was I, I, I pushed a run and that means that sometimes you have to wait for 15 minutes yeah. in order to um, have it. Um, you started saying this and I was like, you wrote like a movie script? Like, what are you, did you no. produce a movie? Like, what is this? 
<laughs> got it. I got well, very excited. Now I'm bored. It's okay. <laughs> well, you, you, Molly, you've been working at a technical university for how many years? So you know. should know. She should have known that, I that known. it was something, something You're not else. wrong. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I started to, uh, uh, I opened Google Maps and I started to uh, look around the world and I ended up in Moscow uh, and I was uh, uh, looking at the Kremlin and it's a, of course a huge walled uh, part of the city and, and uh, it has I think 30 towers or so. So I was, as, I was, I was, as I was scrolling over the Kremlin I saw that all the towers had names except one. It was called the second nameless tower. Mm. And I felt really <laughs> sorry for this tower, especially because there's not a first unnamed tower. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's uh, there are 30 towers, but they never bothered to name this particular tower. So mm. I felt a little bit sorry for it. Yeah. But this, uh, does this nameless tower have some kind of like uh, inferiority complex to, against the other towers? I think uh, it, well, I, I I think there so, must yeah. have been at some point there must have been a first nameless tower that then got a name. And that was my saying, theory too. Yeah. yeah, and this one, and this one, I was sitting there thinking, "Come on, it's my turn now." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did it for him. <laughs> Why can't you do it for me? Ex exactly. So I felt really sorry for this particular Kremlin tower. Uh, and Molly, you you broke WhatsApp. What's that about? Oh yeah, I made this joke. Oh, um, I was. I don't remember what night this week this was that there was like a WhatsApp storing, and so I saw something like a tweet from the NOS about it. And just before this had happened, I had been sending. Like, basically everyone in my WhatsApp contacts list, this funny video of, of Truby, like, running around the house being an idiot. But it was, like, you know, 45 seconds long, so it was, like, a large video size. And it was just, like, taking forever because I had sent it to, like, a bunch of people. And so I was like, oh, it must have been me that broke WhatsApp. This is a less interesting story. Was this the Barcore uh, video? Yeah, precisely. Uh, it was the yeah, Barcore yeah. video. No. Yeah, you could have just sent the Instagram link. That's true. I could have done that. Well, it was a shorter. It was a shorter. Uh, it was a shorter link on the the video on Instagram. Was shorter than the like full, full on like almost minute of him running around the house like an idiot, which I thought was really funny. If you want to follow Molly's dog on Instagram, oh, that's true. You can follow the dog on Instagram. Yeah. Mm. What's the at? Um, at as you are, as you are <laughs> putting an enormous piece of bread in your mouth. I'm trying to. Um, <laughs> Uh, what is the Instagram link? At Troubadour Machma, I think. We'll link to it in the liner notes. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do that. Okay, moving on to uh, this week's uh, Ophef. It's about uh, the hacking of PVV leader Geert Wilders' Twitter account on Wednesday night. Um, many eyebrows were raised when Wilders' account suddenly started to post curious tweets, such as warnings that uh, porn is used by the elite as a depopulation tool, uh, as well as other conspiracy theories. Uh, there was also some anti-Swarta Pete retreats, and, and that he still had to listen to the new album of rapper Poof. And that's not so um, incompatible with uh, Geert Wilders, surely. Well, that he hadn't listened to it yet. Well, oh, oh that's true. Now. Yeah, you'd expect him to have it on repeat. Yeah, it was a retweet of a very small, obscure account. So mm. that was sort of weird, and especially uh, in combination with the other tweets, it was very clear that something weird was going on. Um, and also later that evening, Geert Wilders' avatar was changed into a character of a black man, and also the account's header was changed into a Moroccan flag. Mm. That was, uh, I think, the best part of the whole uh, saga. Um, yeah. The hack of Wilder's accounts coincided with the hacking of many high-profile Twitter accounts such as Apple, Elon Musk, Kanye West, Joe Biden, and Twitter itself. Hmm. Um, these profiles tweeted links to a Bitcoin account with the promise that all transfers would be doubled and transferred back, which is, of course, a lie, but hmm. 
nonetheless. So it was a scam, it. basically. Yeah. It, was a, it was a huge scam. Yeah. Um, it was unclear if these breaches were related to Wilder's hack, but the hacker confirmed to tech journalists that he or she was part of the same hackers collective. Uh, quote, we had earned enough with the Bitcoin tweet, so this was purely for fun, the hacker said in a Telegram conversation. <laughs> the, hacker, the hacker also said that uh, he had access to Wilder's private messages and he was considering making them public uh, too. Uh, Wilders, who can't access his account because the hacker <laughs> changed the password, <laughs> responded that he finds the hack very annoying and he hopes Twitter will solve it very soon. He added that he does hope the Moroccan flag on his profile will attract more Moroccan followers. So Kurt Wilders said more Moroccans as a result. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah but that, 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 that was my takeaway from this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Do we think the hacker... First of all, I heard that they got $100,000 worth of money through this, like, Hacking. I heard they got a fair bit more than that. I thought they oh, had really? A, yeah, I, I thought it was in the millions, but I'm, oh, I'm saying off the top of my head. insane to me. Regardless yeah. of whether or not it's 100,000 or a million, it seems mm. insane. But do we think that the hacker is Dutch? Like, how else would they know about Kurt Vil- I mean, I know he has some international following, but if I was part of an international hackers collective who was, like, targeting horrible right-wing politicians, I'm not sure Kurt Wilders would have been on my, like, top, top of my list. Yeah, now probably the uh, Hackers Collective was international uh, and the person uh, who hacked uh, Geert Wilder's account was also was also, pa- was also uh, yeah he was Dutch mm-hmm. and was yeah. member of this this collective so um, yeah that was uh, that was basically his uh, conversation the thing uh, I saw some conversations with him some screenshots of the Telegram conversation he was just talking in 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 Dutch so um, so he uh, was Dutch yeah, so he was Dutch definitely yeah yeah okay interesting so the whole collective was not Dutch. Is it, no. I can't remember no. because it said that, 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 that if they were, they would have they, they would have asked the bonnages and they would have given themselves away. It would have taken they would yeah. have taken them too long to hack anything because they would have needed to take a coffee break at like ten. Indeed, and they they'd have to have a, have a meet have a meeting every hour as well to decide. Yeah. How would they next, even find? You know? How would they even schedule a date to do the hack? I mean, like yeah. it would have. Yeah, it would have been a mess. <laughs> exactly. Somebody's somebody's sister's birthday would have coincided, yeah. and they would have had to move it again. Yeah, for sure. This week we will see who won the CDA leadership election, we will also see who the Dutch government is taking to court and why a woman from Den Helder has to repaint her house. CDA has a new leader and it is Health Minister Hugo de Jonge. On Wednesday it was announced de Jonge won the second round of the party's leadership election and he will lead the Christian Democrats into the election campaign in March 2021. De Jonge won with only 50.7% of the votes, while MP Pieter Omtzigt won the remaining 49.3, a margin of only 258 votes. De Jonge was the party leadership's preferred candidate, while Omtzigt was seen as the underdog and outsider candidate. CDA was looking for a new leader since Sibrand Buma left national politics in May last year to become the new mayor of Leeuwarden, which is still uh, the job that he was born to do, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, the party was led by Pieter Heerma, who always said he was only an interim leader and wasn't planning to lead the party into the next elections. In the first round, the Jonge won 49.3% of the votes and Omtzigt 40%. And in the days before the second round, Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra effectively endorsed Pieter Omtzigt when he said in a statement 
statement, he was prepared to become the next prime minister if CDA won the elections under the leadership of Omtzigt. Uh, Omtzigt had said that he prefers to stay on as an MP rather than having a position in the cabinet. Uh, most prominent party members, such as uh, Vert Rapperhaus and Sibrand Puma, had already endorsed Hugo de Jonge. The health minister said in his acceptance speech, and uh, he also told journalists afterwards countless times that CDA is one team and that they will fight together to become the largest party. Basically, insisting that the party is united. Yeah. <laughs> But but doesn't don't but don't the election results show that the party isn't uh, quite as united as he keeps telling everybody? I mean that's a pretty fifty fifty split. And also there was a first there was a candidate previous to this, right? I mean Moda yeah. Kaiser ran also. Wow. Yeah. It's indeed a very narrow margin of only 258 uh, uh, votes, and that means that the Hugo Jonge does not have a clear mandate and that he won't be able to ignore Peter, de, Peter Omtzigt in the, uh, in the next campaign. Um, and these results uh, force the party to give Omtzigt a more prominent role in the campaign and also in the party's uh, uh, official positions. And um, this is much to the annoyance of the other party leaders who always saw the Jonge as their preferred candidate. And uh, yeah, especially after um, uh, Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra, who was the second most preferred candidate, announced that he wasn't going to run. And uh, yeah, they were um, not amused with uh, Omtzigt's uh, last-minute candidacy, I think. Um, but Hugo de Jonge said in his acceptance speech that he wants the party to unite and that he sees Omtzigt as his running mate. And to give Omtzigt the number two position seemed to be a little bit of an improvised because Omtzigt told journalists afterwards he wasn't aware that the plan was uh, to make him the number two on the list. Uh, but his newly acquired position could mean that Omtzigt is uh, in a good position to become yeah, the CDA's faction leader, for example, in the Tweede Kamer after the election or even before that. Who knows? Hmm. Paul, what sort of two wings of the CDA do De Jonge and Omzik kind of represent? Like, what's their sort of differences politically? Um, uh, I, well, it, at first, uh, Hugo de Jonge was seen as the, um, as the centrist, um, candidate. Uh, we also had Mona Keiser. She was more, she represented more the right wing side of the party, even though she only got 10% of the vote. So that wasn't, uh, that doesn't seem to be a very strong wing in, in, in that, uh, in that party. Peter Omtzigt, how I would position him, I think he, he is also, a centrist party uh, member, uh, but I don't think he has a clear. I don't think he has a clear position within mm. the party. Do you, Do you think uh, so, Gordon? I think, think? I, I, I kind of felt like um, De Jong sort of represented the the the, the 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 party hierarchy, the kind of CDR's yeah. um, sort of old school um, sense that it was kind of the natural party of government, um, and that uh, it should be a broad church and. You know, uh, taking as many different points of view as possible, and Omzicht Om Om was more kind of a populist candidate. I think. I think that was the, the thing. He he takes a champ. He, he's got a very strong um, base of support uh, among the rank and file CDR members. You know, he he ran basically on his personal popularity because he's been yeah. his crusader on things like the Belastingdienst. Um, I think that's where he comes from, and he, he's not so much. You're right. He's not really kind of a um, somebody who has a very strong um, ideological position or political vision. He's more of a yeah. kind of guy who comes in and like um, you know, sees problems and tries to fix them. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not so much a left-right split. I don't think as much as a kind of um, uh, like political top-bottom top, top, top kind of split. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. 
But it does show that the CDR is pretty divided because of the fact that, you know, Omzicht, who was an unexpected candidate, managed to get, um, you know, half the vote, pretty much. And, you know, he only needed 130 votes to flip the other way and he would have been the party leader. Yeah, but it's not that, uh, I don't think that the uh, almost 50% of the people that voted for Omzicht um, uh, think that Hugo de Jonge's candidacy is unacceptable or anything. Oh, no, nothing they like that, no. Going to, 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 they aren't threatening to leave the party or anything. So it isn't as as divided as you would think it is. I think they're, um, yeah, they are, they accept him as their leader, but they clearly wanted some someone else. But it's not that uh, a, a split is now... Um, uh, the party is in danger of, of splitting or something. No, it's, it's not a split in the sense that they had uh, over the um, uh, the coalition deal with the PPP, which is really damaging. Yeah. It's, it's nothing as serious as that. But it does show, I think, there's you know two very the the CDR hasn't kind of resolved its differences that it, that, that have been there for ten years, and especially with and I think also the position of Hookstar, I think, has been really puzzling. You know, the I way was just he behaved ask, during this whole business. That, yeah. Do we think that like? People voted because Omsik has all had said the whole time that he wasn't going to stand um, as prime minister, right? If he was elected as the party leader, that he wanted to remain an MP, which meant that yeah. there was going to have to be someone else to sort of stand in as as the the prime minister candidate. Yeah. And I mean, is the impression that people backed Omsik because they wanted Wopka Hoekstra to be party or to be prime minister is that the impression or does this really just kind of come down to like i don't know these two dudes are pretty similar and you got to pick one um i'm not sure but uh what, what uh peter omzicht insisted on is that hoekstra um unilaterally uh, decided to uh oh. to, to 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 announce this it wasn't it wasn't a team effort or something so look at that so that was that was pretty interesting. I'm not sure how true that is, but, but yeah, he he said that didn't he? So Hookshaw gave an interview in the Telegraph, and he, he was on holiday, and um, he he gave an interview in the Telegraph from where, wherever he was, saying uh, I'd be happy to be prime minister under under Armstrong. And obviously, when he was questioned about this, just said, uh, well, we didn't have a conversation about this specifically, but we're regularly in touch. So yeah. I think he gave him a nudge. I think I think Peter Armstrong has been quite sneaky during this campaign. Actually, and um, he's quite a smart. He's got quite, 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 quite a good kind of antenna for what's good PR and what plays well in the papers. And this was definitely a, you know, a big kind of headline news when it um, uh, came out on Saturday, and everyone was talking about it and saying this is Hoekstra endorsing Omzicht, even though he wasn't explicitly. So no. I think it was. Um, I, 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 I kind of get the feeling that Omzicht definitely engineered this somehow. Sounds um, like it was Hoekstra defending his desire to be prime minister. More well, it's that as well. And that, yeah, and that's another whole aspect to it. That Hoekstra basically said, I don't want to stand in this election. I don't actually yeah. go through all the bother of putting myself up as a candidate, <laughs> but I would like to be prime minister, please. Which I don't yeah. think went down too well with, uh, with, with, well, certainly not with Hugo de Jonge anyway. Wow. It's kind of curious in the Dutch system, just a final note. It's kind of curious in the Dutch system that you can become prime minister without anyone actually voting for you in any capacity. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's really good form, and I think Cookstar was uh, wasn't a really good move on his part. That. Um, yeah, and what? Where do we think uh, Wopke Hoekstra is on holiday? Do we think he went to the south of Europe? Uh, yeah, he definitely went to Italy, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I would think to to to, to Milan to spend <laughs> his money on on women and booze yeah, exactly. and wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and to keep all the receipts. Yes, and, and, and to tell the restaurant owner that he's uh, doing an abominable job of running his business and he, he should be more efficient. Future lockdowns triggered by coronavirus infections are likely to be local rather than national, according to the chairman of the Regional Safety Council Association, Hubert Brudels. 
That's the same Hubert Brils who said last week that local lockdowns wouldn't work because people would just drive to the next town if they wanted to go to a bar. However, after a council meeting on Tuesday, Brils said another national lockdown was a horror scenario which was best avoided and better contact tracing and testing meant that new spikes in infection can be caught and contained locally. So how are the numbers, Gordon? Uh, well, there's been a slight increase in the last week, um, actually about 20 20% increase. The RFEM is now publishing weekly rather than daily bulletins since the start of July. The latest one recorded 534 infections, which is just over 100 more than the previous week. 16 more people were taken to hospital and the death toll increased by 8, uh, which means it now stands at 6,137. Um, better news is the positive testing rate is still low. Uh, more than 70,000 tests were done in the last week. That's uh, the highest number we've had so far. And 0.6% of those came back positive, uh, which is kind of in line with other countries that have basically got the pandemic under control for the time being. Uh, the disease has also been found on another mink farm, uh, which is this becoming another uh, one. This becoming Why a disaster. Why are we still farming mink in this country? <laughs> there are so many uh, questions here. I feel yeah. like uh, I feel like that lady from Bristol. Um, <laughs> what's her name? Brenda yeah, from Bristol. Brenda from Bristol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Altogether, 23 mink farms have now been infected, um, and a million animals have been slaughtered since the start of the outbreak. So this has become an absolute catastrophe on the mink farms. That's just interesting. And this is ridiculous. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's supposed to be being phased out by, what is it, uh, 2025 or something? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as things go, all the mink are going to be exterminated anyway because they're all getting corona. We we will we all have uh, nice coats uh, coming winter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They'll, be, they'll be going really cheap. When they're yeah. exterminating them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, is it going to be a, a sober budget day thanks to corona? Yes, it is, uh, the, because the pomp and pageantry of what the Dutch call Prinsjesdag, um, and, and we call Budget Day, has fallen by the wayside this year. The glass coach will not rattle through the streets of The Hague, the king will not wave to crowds from Palais Nord Einde, and Mariana Tima will not get to wear a dress made of vegan hand grenades. Do we Actually, think that she would be invited, because she's not an MP anymore? Well, I was just, well that was the next line in my script, Paul. Oh. Uh, that, that last one wasn't going to happen anyway, because she stood down as leader of the Partij voor de Dieren. The traditional speech from the throne is also being moved uh, from the Riddersaal to the Grote Kerk because there isn't enough space in the Riddersaal for everybody to sit at uh, an appropriate social distance. And the invitations usually extended to MPs, partners, social organisations and ambassadors have been cancelled. Another example of cancellation. Yeah, yep. they've also yeah, been cancelled. Yeah, cancel culture. We'll cancel the ambassador. We cancel <laughs> Pete Hoekstra, which is uh, not before time. <laughs> And uh, Gordon, what about love in the time of Corona? Yeah, love in the time of Corona. Um, well, uh, the, 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 there's news on this front, actually, because a campaign was launched by Dutch residents in long distance relationships um, to allow them to meet up with their partners again. They want the Netherlands to follow the lead of countries such as Denmark, Norway and Austria and allow sweetheart visas for people who are not married but can prove they're in a relationship, um, maybe with pictures and text messages or whatever it takes. <laughs> um, and it uh, on Thursday night, after uh, insisting that uh, they had no plans to introduce these sweetheart visas, uh, the, the Dutch government turned tail and said they would allow uh, unmarried partners into the country. So a victory there okay. for, uh, for the uh, Love is Not Tourism petition started by Maud van Leeuwen, a 23-year-old law student in Leiden. Um, so good news there for if you're... What do you think her? that they're going to make them have to prove that they can get it before they can get a sweetheart visa? Like, do you have to send, like, your sex? <laughs> I'm government? just wondering. Like, how is this going to work? Yeah, I'm, yes, I'm kind of will, worried about this. The, the, they the will have a commission on sexting. 
Yeah, the, the, because there's frequently this complaint um, among immigration advocates who say, like, yeah, if, if a refugee says that they're here because they're being persecuted in their home country yeah. for being gay, that they have to, like, mm. prove that they are gay. And that's, yeah. it turns out, very difficult to do, especially if you've been living under an oppressive regime who doesn't let you express your sexuality. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Like, if somebody came to me and said, you know, prove that you are in a relationship with your boyfriend, I would be yeah. like, I mean, I'm not... I guess he says I'm in a relationship and they were like, well, no, you have to prove it. Like, I don't know. Like, here's our text messages about what we're going to cook for dinner tonight. That That's also like roommate stuff. Like, uh, how would you prove this? Yeah. You, yeah have, this. you have a photo of you and your boyfriend in Luxembourg and there is no way you, would, yeah. you, would, you would go with a random person to Luxembourg. So that's no, that no, you fair. wouldn't go there. Yeah. You wouldn't go there unless you absolutely, you have absolutely committed to somebody. Yeah. That is yeah. a sacrifice. That yeah, but, but yeah, but I have an inkling that the, the bar might be lower for um, people in loving relationships than for um, refugees trying to get into the Netherlands from um, uh, countries like Uganda. But uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I, I guess, I mean, the precedent for this has been set by Denmark. I mean, they, they've managed to do it. So I guess I'll look at what the Danes are doing. And they'll probably set up some kind of melt print sexting, you know, where you can just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where you can just dump all your, uh, yeah, or, all your intimate pictures and the submitments, <laughs> submit them to the government, and then and, the, and then and then I suppose Steph Block will have to vet them all because he's the foreign affairs minister. Which is well, and then of course it'll all get somehow released to the public because they won't have the correct security features. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. And there, and there will probably be a sexting visa click line for uh, illegal uh, visa <laughs> applications. Yeah. 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 For people who are not sexting enough. Yeah, yeah there, there, there will be some kind of threshold where you, you will have to be, you know, sexting for, you know, on 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 on, on eighty seven percent of days of the week <laughs> or something. Otherwise, you, uh, your your application will be rejected. Denmark had said that you had to be dating for nine months, which I thought was interesting because I w- was wondering why they picked that number as like because it is also the gestation period of of a child. So is that. Why? Like, if you knock somebody up nine months ago, that, like, you the, you could be together with your partner in time for the baby to arrive? Or, And they also said um, that you have to have met once, at least in person. It can't just be an online relationship, which oh. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Denmark did put down some regulations. So it, um, uh, it can't be exploited by catfishes, basically. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, The Netherlands has brought a case against Russia at the European Court of Human Rights over the downing of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17. The Dutch government announced the decision last Friday, too late for our podcast, and a week shy of the six-year anniversary of the disaster. Investigators say the flight, known as MH17, was shot down by Russian-backed separatists as it was flying over eastern Ukraine on July 17, 2014, killing everyone on board. Achieving justice for the 298 victims of the downing of flight MH17 is and will remain the government's highest priority, Foreign Minister Steph Block said in a statement. Moscow has denied any involvement in the crash, suggesting instead that it was the Ukrainian military who shot down the plane. A separate criminal trial of four men accused of supplying the Buk missile launcher that brought down the plane is currently ongoing in the Netherlands. So what is the European Court of Human Rights? Thank you for asking, Paul. Um, The European Convention on Human Rights established the European Court on Human Rights in 1953. The convention protects civil and political rights of those living in its 47 member states, so it is not an EU institution, it is separate from that. Both Russia and the Netherlands are signatories to the convention. The court itself is based in Strasbourg. So this is an unusual complaint then. 
It is. The Dutch government filed what is known as an interstate application with the Court of Human Rights. Those are rare. Most cases are brought by individuals against states. Uh, There have only been 24 such cases since the court's inception, almost half of which have been brought against Russia. Five of the nine ongoing cases have been brought by Ukraine against Russia for the annexation of Crimea, the conflict that was ongoing when MH17 was shot down. There are also 7,000 pending individual complaints about the conflict, including two cases against Russia brought by the relatives of the victims of MH17. Okay, and why is this uh, being? Why is this happening now? That is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. It is not totally clear. Um, it seems the decision has. Uh, there was there were some leaks that had come out that said that made it seem like the decision was made by the joint investigative team. That's the five country team led by the Netherlands that investigated what happened over eastern Ukraine. Austria, Belgium, Malaysia, and Ukraine are the other four countries. So actually, it had to be the Netherlands. The only other option is, is that Belgium could have brought the complaint. You, the Ukraine already has one at the at the court. I've heard everything from cynicism that the Netherlands wanted to distract from the 25th anniversary of Srebrenica to the practical that the Dutch wanted to see what the defense mm. in the criminal case was going to say. So I don't, I don't think it's super clear why they chose this moment. But now we get to wait for 17 years while a case winds its way through the Indeed. Court of Human Rights. If this podcast has made you any the wiser about the Christian Democrats' internal spats, the Netherlands coronavirus strategy, or European human rights law, it's probably an accident. But we hope you'll consider sponsoring us on Patreon nevertheless. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us buy washing powder for our blanket fortresses and dog food for Truby. We'll give you a shout-out on the podcast and let you ask us a question about absolutely anything. This week we say hello to new patron Adi Fenkat, um, and thank you Adi for not uh, asking me to pronounce your full name. Uh, He's originally from India, now lives in Rotterdam, with his wife and has become a Dutch citizen. He says, quote, I've been living here since 2011 when I moved here for studies. I fell in love with the place, especially the ability to bike to literally anywhere, which reminded me of my childhood when I'd biked to school. The question I would I have for you all is, what is the biggest change you've seen in your respective selves since the pandemic and lockdown? I, for one, have taken fitness more seriously than before. Yeah, I uh, I also um, tar- restarted to do a um, uh, to do some running, I think, because I, I've been uh, sitting inside for a yeah, entire day and i really missed going outside even cycling to the university which is five minutes away from uh, from my place so i uh I, if, at first i started to do a daily walk for half an hour and uh later i started to run so yeah i think that's a direct consequence of the lockdown i think yeah i think i've discovered that i'm actually an introvert it's been really d- unsettling basically wow yeah i know but I don't want to go out of my house. I, or maybe I've developed, what is the fear of like going outside? Agoraphobia? Something yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing that surprised me was, is that like how not unhappy I was sort of being stuck in the house, not going anywhere and not seeing people. And I think it's made me think a little bit about like how I'm spending yeah, my time and my energy and is all of these, you know, sort of social engagements and things that I'm constantly doing really making me happy. Or if that's something like that I should re revisit basically. What about you, Gordon? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of um, changed a lot in the course of lockdown, I think. I mean, I've, I've, my kind of big surprise in the beginning was my social life actually got better because yeah. <laughs> um, I, I never go out because uh, I'm stuck at home with uh, as a lone parent with two children. And then suddenly, because everyone was setting up these Zoom meetings, I could suddenly join in again. Whereas in the past, if people went to the pub, I could, you know, I, 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 I couldn't be there. And then you, you know, you, you, you're kind of become detached from people's lives. So suddenly, because you start joining in, yeah, joining um, society again. So that was kind of good. But on the other hand, I did 
did sort of suddenly realise that actually I missed being out and about more than I realised because uh, uh, yeah like, like you Paul I, I wasn't going out on my bike so much I wasn't I hadn't been running anyway because I'd had um, well that was to do with the, the fact that I'd, I'd had a bad back injury last year but um, I'd started running again and that kind of made things better I am I find it interesting that you guys have gone one direction and I have gone completely the other direction this is a good time for a reminder about uh, our Patreon bonus segment for the summer we always do a little bit of extra stuff for our Patreon subscribers and this year we're going to do a sort of ask us anything the little take on the Reddit ask me anything so you can send us a question you can send it to us by email at podcast at dutchnews.nl or shoot it to one of us on Twitter if that's your preferred method of communication Um, and you can ask us any question under the sun, anything literally, and we will answer it mostly seriously. If you'd like to join our loyal band of patrons, log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. The long-term effects of coronavirus are slowly becoming clear, and they include some pretty bad news on the economic front. Unemployment leapt up by 74,000 in the month of June. That's the biggest ever rise in a single month, according to statistics agency CBS. That takes it over 400,000 back to the level last seen in October 2017. The rise was steepest among young people. 10.7% or 15 to 25-year-olds are now out of work, up from 9.5% in May. Part of the reason for the sudden rise is that the first stage of the government's furlough scheme finished at the end of May, and some large employers, such as personal agency Randstad, opted out of the second stage so they could lay off staff without being penalised. Um, and also, the number of people claiming a VV outkeering, which is the state-run insurance scheme for people who lose their jobs, was unchanged in June at 301,000. We'll see if this is just a blip, um, or if it's a sustained trend, because uh, if it's just a one-off, then uh, perhaps it's not so bad as it looks on the face of it. A national monument to commemorate the victims of genocide at Srebrenica is to be erected in The Hague. The decision follows a request from the Bosnian community in the Netherlands and is supported by the Dutch Defense and Foreign Affairs Ministry. It is important that The Hague, as a city of peace and justice, is a place of remembrance of the tragedy that unfolded in 1995, The Hague's mayor, Jan van Zanen, said. It was 25 years ago on Saturday when 8,372 people, mainly Bosnian Muslims, were slaughtered by radical Bosnian Serbs in the worst massacre in Europe since the Second World War. The victims were inside a UN safe zone guarded by Dutch troops that were overrun by Bosnian Serb forces. Yeah, that's uh, sort of a national trauma here in the Netherlands. And um, there was a a three-piece documentary um, broadcasted last week about the fall of Srebrenica. And if you um, if you can uh, if you understand Dutch, then I certainly advise you to watch it because it was a very impressive um, uh, documentary. Yeah, they also had they also had like a daily news bulletin from twenty five years ago, which I thought was really well done. Um, where it's after news here every night, they're like fifteen minute like a, a sort of news as if it was happening in two thousand nineteen ninety nineteen ninety five. Oh, I missed that. And also, uh, do we know where the memorial uh, will be? It's not yet clear where the monument will be placed. One proposal is at the site of the Yugoslav Tribunal um, the, that was held in The Hague. Perhaps the International Court of Justice, which is also in The Hague, which defined the massacre as an act of genocide in 2007. Uh, the organizers of this said that they're working with the local government to figure out where good, good spots would be. I think a more centralized place would be more appropriate than the Yugoslavia Tribunal, even though it is, of course, uh, located in The Hague, I think. Yeah, it's kind of out of the way. It's kind of out of the way, and I think this this event deserves, this massacre, this this strategy deserves a more prominent place, I think. Even though uh, MH17 also has a national monument now, and uh, even though that's also not 
on a very prominent place it is it, it it is very nicely done so it doesn't necessarily mean that yeah it, it will not be nicely done but yeah i think um uh, 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 yeah a more prominent place would be better yeah i guess we will see where they end up picking Sports news, and while domestic football has been put on hold till September, Dutch footballers have been making their marks in Europe's major leagues, which are racing to complete their seasons by the end of the month. Frenkie de Jong made his first start for Barcelona in a month on Thursday after recovering from a calf injury. In Italy, a goal by Martin de Rhone helped Atlanta Bergamo close the gap on leaders Juventus to seven points. In the English Premier League, Stephen Berfine set up Harry Kane's winning goal from Tottenham against Newcastle, and Virgil van Dijk's catastrophic back pass let Arsenal in for the first of their two goals in a comeback win against Liverpool and that means Liverpool can't be as successful as Manchester City last season um, and overhaul their record points total um, although they will still win the league. So because we have a lack of national sports news we just uh, uh, named all the uh, <laughs> international goals. Yeah I did what the Dutch media did which just likes to talk about all the Dutch players playing in other places. <laughs> yeah exactly. Is there still going to be a ban on uh, singing and cheering in, in football stadiums, Gordon? Yeah, yeah, this is uh, a big um, kind of sticking point. One of the measures in the Canfe-based protocol for restarting the football season is that fans won't be allowed to shout, cheer or sing because raising your voice uh, risks spreading the virus. This rule was clearly dreamt up by someone who's never been to any kind of sports match. Uh, the aptly named Hubert Bruls, who we um, encountered earlier, the chairman of the Association of Regional Safety Councils, wrote to the ministers responsible uh, this week to say don't be so damn ridiculous. Uh, what he actually said was that a ban on cheering and chanting was unrealistic and unenforceable and he called on Hugo de Jonga and Fred Krapperhaus to scrap the ban uh, or risk damaging the government's credibility. But there was also some very sad news this week. Yes, uh, speed skater Lara van Rauven uh, died at the weekend um, at the age of 27 from an autoimmune disease. Uh, she was taken to hospital at the end of June while she was on the training camp in France um, and uh, despite undergoing uh, several operations and being put in an induced coma, um, uh, the doctors couldn't save her and she was uh, very sadly uh, pronounced dead uh, at the end of last week. She won gold in the 500 metres short track at the World Championships in Sofia in 2019 and five European Championship titles as well as an Olympic bronze. Uh, the Speed Skating Association, KNSB, paid tribute on its website, calling her a young woman with uh, tremendous willpower and iron discipline, liked on and off the skating rink for her positivity and lovely personality. Yeah, very sad news. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our, our thoughts with her family and her colleagues on the Dutch skating team. An apple green house in Den Helder will have to be painted in a more neutral shade after Ineke van Amersfoort lost a court case to keep her favorite color on the walls. Uh, one of our contributing editors insisted that it was lime green, even though uh, I looked up in the uh, uh, I looked it up in the uh, visual court uh, documents and they refer to it as apple green. And also the sort of online color analyzer uh, called it very light apple green. So. Sorry, you lost this battle. It's apple green, not lime green. Following complaints by a neighbor after she first painted her walls uh, a brighter shade nine years ago, the local council took action. It had protested that the color was too bright and too different from the other homes in the districts, which were all uh, uh, white, basically. So yeah, it, 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 it was very different from all the other houses. That's true. And uh, the local council also ruled it uh, as a breach of the housing law. Uh, the neighbor, according to Van Amersfoort, was unhappy 
happy with the green reflections that her walls caused in the windows. Now, however, the Netherlands' highest court has ruled in favor of the neighbor and council and ordered Van Amersfoort to repaint her house in a color chosen in constellation with local authorities. It will probably be boring white or black, she told RTL News. It can be. Uh, it can just. It cannot just be joyful. The council has got something against green. And she also added that if she had her own way, she would mix a can of white paint into the current green shade and call it a compromise. That's. I think that that quote was ac absolutely excellent. Yeah. Well, such the, a the, laugh. the court um, uh, documents said, or, or at least the council argued that the her the current green shade was uh, three percent too bright. So, yeah, I mean, the, the obvious solution is just add some white to, to the current color and uh, everybody will be happy. So I just I don't understand why people get so upset about the color of their neighbor's house. Like we there's somebody across the street from us on the next street over who has painted all of the trim on their house bright orange and their door an actual lime green, not a green apple green. And I think it looks horrendous and terrible, but I mean, I'm not, I don't need to sue them over it. I mean, I'm assuming at some point they're going to get in trouble anyway, because there's restrictions as to what you can paint your house. But in the meantime, I mean, like, who cares? It does not bother me at all. But we did have an incident on our street where one of the um, the self-appointed street men <laughs> did try to yell, not at us, but at somebody else who had all of the, most of the doors on our street are wood. Um, and you're allowed in the like bylaws to paint your wooden trim and stuff and stuff outside your house two colors. You can either do monumenta green or some kind of, yeah, monument green. That's the like shade or um, some kind of white. So one of my neighbors across the street decided to paint their whole door green. And this guy was really upset about this, <laughs> which like is within the rules. Like you're allowed to do that. It's just most of the houses on the street. I think all of the houses on the street, the door is just like a natural, the natural wood thing. And this guy got really upset and he lives on the same side of the street as these people. So he doesn't even have to see it. Like I don't understand what you're mad about. It's uh, it's just a cultural thing. If you if you are a Dutchman, then you then you assume, then you feel entitled to have an opinion on what everybody else is doing, especially if they live in a street. So I guess without these regulations, we're all going to end up looking like Belgium, which nobody wants. So. That was what I was going to say. Uh, we have tons of regulations, tons of rules. We have a commission that sort of determines how your house can, uh, if you build a house, if that if that house looks well enough or not. Um, on the one hand, that is very annoying and very sort of almost how do you say that we're kind of restricting yeah, very restricting your, yeah. uh limiting your you in your free personal freedom basically uh but on the other other hand uh the 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 other end of the spectrum is belgium where if you if you if you uh, drive around i'm sure they have some regulations even though they probably don't enforce them though uh, but if you if you walk around there or drive around there then then it's it's a cacophony of of of, of 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 different types of houses and in a way it's charming because everyone everybody can do what they want and it's always a surprise if you turn a corner what you will encounter now but yeah um uh, that's the other end of the of the spectrum so which which one which one do you prefer molly belgium or the netherlands oh i mean the netherlands clearly like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no question about this uh yeah that's uh, that's just a consequence that we uh, that you have of living in the netherlands if you don't want any rules go to belgium 
That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can't get it. You can get in touch with us by email to pod- You can, you really can. Yeah, you can. But, don't. <laughs> you, don't, but you don't have but to. Don't, but don't, you don't, don't send us any emails. We urge you not to. Please. Uh, you can get in touch uh, with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. If you have a question for a special bonus episode for the Patreons, uh, our uh, little ask us anything, you can also send those questions to um yeah basically any any way twitter email doesn't matter whatsapp um my thanks to um gordon Tarek and molly quell i'm paul peters and we'll be back next week no we won't no we won't oh no <laughs> uh, my thanks to gordon Tarek and molly quell i'm paul peters and we'll be back after the summer I have to say, I Dude. we have had like a s- extremely bad fruit fly infestation the last couple of days. Right. It's really, really bad, and I it, now understand why people <laughs> <laughs> believe in genocide. <laughs>